The following is a message from Pastor Ellis Orozco of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Well, good morning, and thanks for worshiping this morning with us. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you're with us online, we're so thankful that you have joined us this morning to worship God. We're going to keep worshiping him by going to his word in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to look in your Bibles now in Matthew chapter 5, I'll be reading the first 16 verses of this chapter, which is the first chapter in a series of chapters, Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7, which form what we now call uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter uh, five, as we continue through a series of sermons about um, being God's children. Now, we started with the last month talking about the transformation that we're asking God to bring to our lives. We want to be a people who are being transformed every day by Jesus. This is why we go to his word every day. We've made this commitment as a church together to go to God's word reading one chapter a day and asking God through the power of his word to transform our lives. Now we're moving into kind of the next piece of that vision, which is not only to be transformed, but also to bring that transformation to a world that so desperately needs it. We're going to be talking over the coming weeks about a life well lived. And this is the thesis of the sermon series. And it is simply this, that a life well lived It's a life lived well with others. The end of your life, when you come to that moment when someone is eulogizing you, it's what we look back on is how we lived our lives with others. So to talk about that, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 to 16. This is what the word of God says. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. May the Lord bless the reading um, of his word. I want us to talk this morning about what it looks like to be kingdom of God people, people who live in this life that is being transformed every day and then turn around and bring that transformation to all those around us. Our our vision as a church is to be a, a church full of people who are bringing healing and wholeness to our community and beyond, even as we are being transformed by Jesus. And I want us to talk about what that looks like to live that out in 
of the world. I want you to listen to the story of Gilbert and Grace Caldwell. Um, because when I heard this story, it in certain ways personified what Jesus is trying to teach us, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's a story about their honeymoon in the Poconos many years ago and how they and their lives have come full circle. So listen to the story. At the Mount Airy Resort in the Poconos of Pennsylvania, Reverend Gilbert Caldwell and his wife Grace are arriving for their second honeymoon. We're here, we're here, we're here. They were greeted warmly. Oh, how are you? A sharp contrast to their first visit 60 years earlier. In 1957, they were married in North Carolina, then drove eight hours only to be turned back for being black. How did they put it? Did they give you a reason? First, they pretended I didn't have a reservation where I actually brought a copy. And then, of course, they said, but if we said yes, our guests would be very unhappy. They had to stay at a black-owned hunting lodge instead. Men with these big guns. <laughs> Not what you were planning on for your honeymoon? Not what we were planning on. <laughs> Prodded partly by that experience, Gill immersed himself in the civil rights movement, working side by side with Martin Luther King Jr. Today, he speaks about the movement, which is how he ended up at Bear Tavern Elementary in Titusville, New Jersey last year. He told the honeymoon story, as he'd done a hundred times before, but for whatever reason, this group of fifth graders really took it to heart. At the end of the story, I was like, that's just terrible. It was really heartbreaking. Just because it's just so wrong. I feel like this is the worst thing that someone could do to someone. Even months after the Caldwell's visit, kids like Emily Eshelman are still this affected. You feel bad for them that they had to go through that? A ton. A ton. Which is why each fifth grader wrote a letter to Mount Airy. One said, the Caldwells made me think about not only standing up for myself, but standing up for others and fixing mistakes that were made in the world. In closing, the kids requested an all-expense-paid honeymoon redo, which they got. It makes me feel really good inside because we know that even though we're just kids, we made an impact on the world. It was really magnificent to know that kids cared that much. Oh, the rug feels so nice. I should mention that the original Mount Airy was torn down years ago. What a beautiful place. This is a new building with new owners who were just so impressed with the kids, they wanted to help make it right. Maybe was this worth waiting 60 years for? Obviously. <laughs> this does not make up for decades of racial injustice. But it's a step and a sign that we can get there. <laughs> that story um, resonated with the Sermon on the Mount for several reasons. Um, one, of course, is the idea of the empathy and compassion that you see in the children for the Caldwell story. Um, the second is that they didn't stay with compassion and empathy, but they moved to action. They did something about it. And the third reason and perhaps the strongest reason is because I don't know if you notice at the end that there was still tension left in the story. That, that going back 60 years later to that resort that they were rejected from, um, um, that it didn't solve all the world's problems. That, 
then in some ways it didn't really make up for what happened to them and perhaps nothing ever could. So at the end, the resolution, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect. But it was better. Did you understand what I'm saying? That in the sermon, Jesus perhaps is saying that when we, that when we do things to change the world, that it's never going to be perfect. Nothing this side of eternity is ever going to be perfect. But that it can be better. It's better. Keep that in mind. When you study all the things that Jesus talked about, it's actually a rather short list. Uh, Jesus' message was very focused. But the very top of that list of things that Jesus talked about would be the kingdom of God. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. Sometimes he called it the kingdom of God. Sometimes he called it the kingdom of heaven. But he meant the same thing. And he talked a lot about this. And nowhere does he talk more about the kingdom of God than he does in his famous Sermon on the Mount. We read the opening lines to that sermon. And in some ways, the Sermon on the Mount is simply Jesus' description of what the kingdom of God looks like and the values and characteristics of the person who is living inside that kingdom of God. You could call them kingdom of God values. And this is where Jesus starts his sermon. He starts by laying out the kingdom of God values. When you read the sermon, they drop right out of the scripture text. You can, you can see them right away. The kingdom of God values, things like, like humility, compassion, empathy, Peacemaking, justice, servanthood, impact. There's one we don't talk a lot about. The last one, impact. But, but the, and the Sermon on the Mount clearly tells us that the kingdom of God values impact. That the kingdom of God values those who work to make a difference in their world. I want you to leave those up there. I want you to write those down because they become very important as we begin to understand what it looks like to live inside the kingdom of God, what it looks like to be transformed by Jesus and what exactly is he transforming us into. It's these kingdom of God characteristics, these kingdom of God values. And the last one, which we don't talk a lot about is impact. Jesus, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are they that mourn, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart. And all, all of those things point to a person who is filled with empathy, a person who is filled with compassion, a person who can see the suffering all around them and feels it, who understands, right? But Jesus doesn't stay there. He doesn't stay with these values or characteristics of empathy and compassion. He moves on. And he says, he says this, he says, also says, blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And see, these two are clarion calls to action. They are calls to do something about it. Listen, working for peace is a difficult and dangerous task. It's, it's not easy to work for peace. You have to deal with all kinds of characters when you're working for peace. You have to go into the into the fire to work for peace. Working for peace is a difficult and dangerous work. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is a difficult and dangerous thing in the world we live in. It was dangerous in Jesus' day. 
In some ways, it's still dangerous to this very day. When you begin to stand up for that which is right, righteousness, right living with God, when you begin to stand up for that which is right, look out because people are going to come against you. When you begin to work for justice, which is the, the, uh, the other side of the coin of righteousness, righteousness, right living with God, personal right living with God, and it's kissing cousin, justice, right living with others. Those are, those are two terms that are this, the, the two sides of the same coin. And when you begin to work for righteousness and for justice in this world, when you begin to speak for the powerless and the vulnerable, when you begin to work for those who are hurting there are forces that will come against you. You will make enemies. This is, this is hard work that Jesus is talking about. He calls us to this action. Blessed are those who are lowly and humble and caring and kind, yes, but also who take those things and act on them. Those who make a difference in the world. Those who have an impact on the world. We want to be a people, this is what we're looking for. We want to be a people. This is what we're crying for, what we're hungering for, what we're praying for as a church, that we want to be a church full of people who are making a difference out in the world. We want to be a church full of people who are bringing healing and wholeness to our world, even as we are being transformed by Jesus. Last year, we emphasized being transformed by Jesus. So we created the well, and we began to go through God's word together every day. Praying and asking God, not just for more knowledge, but that he would change our hearts and our lives as we went to his word every day. That's the transformation. But all of that transformation is useless if it's not leveraged into action, into doing something about it, going out into the world and making a difference. Later in the sermon, Jesus will teach his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray that prayer in that day and time, it was a very dangerous prayer to pray. It was a prayer that was considered to be be treason an act of treason against Rome to pray for any kingdom to come down and rule other than, rather than the Roman kingdom to, to pray for God to come down, that God's will would be done, not Caesar's will, but God's will. You see, this was a dangerous prayer to pray. It was a prayer that embodied everything that Jesus was teaching in the sermon. And it was a clarion call to action to do something about it. And the Romans, the Romans, Rome never took these prayers lightly. They understood that some of the most powerful revolutions had spiritual beginnings. The Lord's Prayer was a dangerous prayer to pray because it embodied everything that Jesus was saying in the sermon and it was a call to action. It was a call that said, your good intentions are not enough. At some point, you have to take your good intentions and translate them into action. You can be poor in spirit. You can weep for those who are hurting. You can be meek and and merciful and pure in heart. But it means nothing if it doesn't translate into action. And here's the action he calls us to. He says, I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. For righteousness right here on this earth. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice. 
right? He says it in verses 10, 11, and 12. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is warning them. He's saying when you roll up your sleeves and you begin in earnest to work for the kingdom of God, you, you, you take on all of these characteristics, these values of the kingdom. You become these things. And because you become these things, you begin to work for change in your world. He says, Jesus says, when you begin to do that, get ready. Because forces will come against you. Because things will go wrong. Because people will lie about you and malign you and hurt you, work to hurt you. When you begin in earnest to roll up your sleeves and work for the kingdom of God, he's saying if you're too comfortable right now, it's probably because you're doing nothing. It's probably because what you, what you preach and what you say, is never, it's, it's not being turned into action. The transformation that God is bringing into your life, you eat it up and you hold it in and it changes nothing. He says, this is a sign to you of what will happen. He says then, he goes on to say, all of those kingdom values are working towards this one thing. And then he puts it, he, he puts it, he paints a picture of it. It's interesting that in the sermon, up until this point, every time Jesus says you, blessed are you, it's singular. Blessed are you, the individual disciple, when you when you're poor in spirit, when you mourn, when your heart breaks over the things that break the heart of God, when you're meek, when you're merciful, when you're a peacemaker, it's all you, singular, you, singular, you, singular. When he gets to this verse, verse 13, you are the, you are the salt of the earth. It's you, plural. You all, together, are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Listen to what he says, verses 13 through 16. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, there have been countless pages written about this analogy that Jesus uses about salt and light, all the characteristics of salt, all the characteristics of light. I'm not going to go into all of that. I just want to leave you actually with, with, with two, the two big points. Really, the, the two big reasons that Jesus uses salt and light. The, the two main points he's trying to make, with, one with each analogy. And the first is with salt. And, and what Jesus is saying basically is that salt was useful only to the degree that it keeps its inherent characteristics, namely that of being salty. That salt is, is useful in this world only to the degree that it keeps the, the characteristic of saltiness. If it loses that, it becomes useless. He, he, and he's just, he's saying this after he's just finished telling us what those characteristics are, what, what our salt looks like, right? The ingredients to making salt in 
the kingdom of God. He gives them to us in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, those that mourn, those whose hearts break over the things that break the heart of God, the meek, the merciful, the peacemaker. These are the ingredients of salt. This is how we make salt. And he says that that salt that you are useful in the kingdom of God only to the degree that you maintain those inherent characteristics of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. Here's the thing. We believe. Well, Baptists traditionally have believed. We believe that if you're a Christian, you can never lose your salvation. Jesus, God, doesn't give you something and then take it away. That, that Jesus has the ability to keep your salvation secure. We believe that you can never lose your salvation, but you can sure lose your usefulness in the kingdom of God. You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your usefulness when you lose the ingredients of salt in the kingdom of God. There's this story in the scripture where two of Jesus' disciples come to him and they say to him, they ask him, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, when you, when you gain your power, we want to sit on your left side and your right side. We want to be your COO and your CFO in the kingdom of Jesus' business. They were asking for power. And Jesus looks at them and they're they're losing their saltiness. This is what's happening. In fact, Jesus brings a little child at that moment. He puts the child in front of him and says, unless you become like this little child, blessed are the poor in spirit, those that cry all the time, the meek, right? Humility. Look, look at the list. Look at the list I gave you. Servanthood, humility, compassion, empathy, peacemaking. Unless you become like this little child. In other words, unless you maintain the saltiness, the ingredients that, that make salt in the kingdom of God, you can no way enter the kingdom of God. You can't be a part of the kingdom of God. They were getting it wrong. There was this other time that Jesus was saying, asking his disciples, um, who do people say that I am? And they told him this list. And then he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, good answer. Uh, this was revealed to you by God. That's the only way you could know this. And he says, what that means is that I must now go to Jerusalem and I will be arrested and I will be crucified. And then on the third day, I will rise again. And Peter pulls him aside and says to Jesus, stop saying that. You're not going to die. You're going to come into your kingdom and we're going to build the throne of David. Stop talking about dying. You're, you're scaring people. You're not going to die. And Jesus looks at him and says, What? I don't recognize you. Who are you, Peter? Get behind me, Satan. What happened? Peter, you're losing your saltiness. You don't understand. 
And this happens all the time. We point our fingers at the disciples and say, how could he do that? This happens all the time. It happens to all of us where we begin to lose our saltiness. And the point that Jesus is making is that these are the ingredients, the values of the kingdom of God. These are the ingredients that create salt in the kingdom of God. And once you lose those, you've lost your, your usefulness in the kingdom of God. He says... You are the light of the world, right? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you light a candle and put it under, under a basket. In other words, you don't light something in order to hide it. And so there are some things that you can't hide. When a city is all lit up, you can't, how do you hide a city? You can't hide a city. That's silly. Why would you do that? Light Light is this, not only is it something that helps us to see, but there's this idea of warmth behind the light, isn't there? The light, you know, in your home. It brings this warmth. Last year, in, during Snowmageddon, which we, I think people were afraid was going to happen again, right? Last year during Snowmageddon, when, uh, when everything was shut down, we lost our electricity for something like 48 hours. We were actually more fortunate than others who lost it for a lot longer, but we lost our, our electricity for about 48 hours in our house. We have a, a, um, a fireplace. And so we lit the fireplace and our children and our grandchildren and everyone came over. We were the only ones with the fireplace. And so we were, uh, we were, we lit the fireplace. We didn't have a lot of wood, had to go looking for wood. I became a hunter, forager, um, my son at one point was threatening to break down furniture and start putting it in because he was cold. We lit the fire. And what did it bring? It brings warmth. That attracts, right? It attracts. What it says is, the light says in your home, it says here is a warm place where you are welcome, where you can gather, where you can find rest for your soul. And the reason for that is because what light says is, in some ways it says, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. Um, Jesus told a story in scripture um, about a man, Pastor Ron referred to it earlier, a man who was walking down a road and he got attacked, beat up. And the thieves who beat him up left him on the side of the road for dead. And two passed by and they didn't stop, a priest and a Levite. And then a third one passed by, a Samaritan, and he stopped. And he helped the man. So why is it that the other two didn't stop, but the Samaritan did stop? Jesus doesn't tell us explicitly, but it seems obvious to me. It seems obvious to me that the Samaritan stopped where the other two didn't because the Samaritan knew how the man felt. He knew what it felt like to be beat up. He knew what it felt like to be ostracized and marginalized and demonized. He knew what it felt like to be lying on the side of the road, bleeding and dying, with no one stopping to help because they didn't want to touch you. He, he, the Samaritan knew what that felt like. And so he stopped. This is why Jesus spent so much time at the beginning of his sermon 
talking about these things, these characteristics that bring compassion and empathy. Compassion means to feel with. Compassio, two Latin words, to feel with. It means to feel with. It means to say, I know how you feel. And it's a powerful thing. We will never go out and be the change that the world needs if we don't have these characteristics, this salt, the ingredients for our salt. If we don't then go out and shine, a light is useless, Jesus is saying, that the light is useful only to the degree that you allow it to shine. Otherwise, it's worthless. Only to the degree that you allow it to shine will it do its work. So it is with us. I know how you feel. So we're the ones who stop. We're the ones who help. We're the ones who welcome. We're the ones who heal. Um, I want you to watch another story. Eight-year-old boy, Robbie Gay. When I heard his story, it also resonated with the sermon. Because here's the story of someone, a, a, a little boy. By the way, both these stories also, the thing that they did for me, and I hope they do for you too, is that they, they give me hope for the next generation. Right? They give, they give, it brings hope when you see God working in the lives of the young. Amen? So here's a little boy, eight years old, who was born into a terrible situation. He was dealt a very bad hand from the beginning. But watch what a little bit of light, a little bit of salt, what it can do. Eight-year-old Robbie Gay loves an underdog. Hey! Bring him to the Flagler County Humane Society in Palm Coast, Florida, as we did, and ask him to find a favorite. Can I get in here? He will seek out the oldest, mangiest, least adoptable mutt of the lot. There's something about old dogs I just like. Do you see yourself in these dogs? Yes, sir. He knows what it feels like not to be loved and cared for. He's the most hopeful, optimistic, and genuinely caring kid who has absolutely no reason to be that way. Robbie's adoptive mom, Maria, says before he entered the foster system, Robbie was a holy terror. So badly abused, he was twice hospitalized with brain injuries. Then, two years ago, Maria and her husband, Charles, adopted him. It was just a good day. What did that day mean to you? Everything. He has come a long way, except in this one respect. Maria says he could not cry. Despite the horrors of his past, or maybe because of them, the kid was a stone. Until earlier this month. One of Robbie's old dogs, Buffy, had to be put down. He wanted to hold her till the very end and insisted his mom take pictures of the process. Perhaps because he knew what was about to happen. After Robbie finally let go, he told his mom, I know how it feels not to be loved or cared for, and I don't want any animal of mine to feel that way. Nor does he want any foster kid to feel that way. Because people don't want older people and older dogs. They only want babies and puppies. He is so aware that it could have gone totally differently for him. And in these older dogs... 
Robbie's found a place to practice compassion. Someday, Robbie wants to adopt older foster children himself. You can go up and knock on the door. But until then, to show his commitment and do what he can, he has vowed to adopt as many old dogs as his parents will allow. Do you love her? Today, it's a lame, snaggletooth shih tzu named Molly. Molly's owner had to go into assisted living. But now Molly has a new home, thanks to the sweet little boy who sees his reflection in the eyes of the suffering. A sweet little boy who sees his reflection in the eyes of the suffering. Until we become a church full of people who see our reflection in the eyes of the suffering, we will never be salt. We will never be light. This year, we are setting a goal and we're asking you to do something. But what I want you to hear today is that this is not a goal or something we're asking you to do just just to try and do something different. But this comes from the very heart of the gospel. We're asking you to go outside of your comfort zone. We're asking you to take the transformation that God has begun last year in going through the well, the transformation that God is bringing into your life, and we're asking you to direct it outwards to those around you. And we're asking you to do something that seems very simple, very small, Something as simple as adopting an old dog that no one else wants, but so powerful. We're asking you to make one new friend every month. That's it. One new person. To go outside of your circle of friends, outside of your comfort circle, to meet someone new, to know their, know their name, something about their family, something about them. Just to go out and at least once, at least one new person a, a month. And we, because we believe, just like we believe that if we go to God's word every day, God is going to transform us. We believe that if you begin to do that, we believe that something is going to start to happen. We are confident. We, are, we, we have faith that God is going to do something with it. We're not asking you to go out and find people so they can become your project. We're not asking you to go out and, and, and make friends with ulterior motives. We're just simply saying, go out and meet someone new and just learn their name. And put them down on a list that you're going to pray for them. That, that's it. But we're believing that if, that if all of us begin to do that all over our community, that God then is going to take that and he's going to do something with it. That as we begin to take the salt in our life, these ingredients that Jesus has given them, and we begin to take them and they begin to transform our lives and we begin to share them, that God is powerful and God is faithful and God is true to his word and he is going to do something. People are going to come to know Jesus. People's lives are going to be changed. People's lives are going to be transformed because simply because you took the time to see your reflection and the suffering of others. And as we do this, God is going to change our lives and he's going to change our church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for loving us with an unending, incomprehensible, unconditional love. And we pray now that you would just bless us as we go from this place. Help us to live for you every day. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to move out of our comfort zones, Father, so that you can begin to use us 
to transform this world. This is our heart. This is our prayer. This is our commitment to you, Father. And we pray it in the name that is above every name. We pray it in the name of all justice and all righteousness and all goodness and all truth. We pray it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen.